uh, good to uh, be able to spend some time with you this Sunday morning. This is our last of our Taste and See messages. And uh, next week we move on because this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Believe it or not, it's already here. Lent is already starting. So you have just a few days to cram in whatever you are giving up for Lent because your time is almost out. And so now is your chance. That's why I'm eating an incredible amount of sugar over the next few days. If you see me and I seem to be tweaking a little bit, that's why, uh, because I am definitely going to try to eat very little sugar and no processed sugar through Lent. So I'm sorry if I'm hateful to you <laughs> during that time. Uh, but yeah, so Ash Wednesday is coming. Ash Wednesday is the traditional launch of the Lent season. And so uh, we welcome you to come to Southern Hills United Methodist Church at 8200 South Pennsylvania Avenue in Oklahoma City. Uh, Wednesday at 5.30, we'll have a free meal. Uh, Southern Hills is providing that. And at 6 o'clock, we will have our Ash Wednesday service. I'll be uh, preaching during that service. We'll also have Pastor Carlos Ramirez, the interim pastor there at uh, Southern Hills, who will be helping facilitate that service. It's going to be a really moving time for us to start our journey together uh, in the Linton season. <clears throat> So because this is our last of the series, I kind of wanted to go back in time with you a little bit and talk about the last oh, seven or eight weeks that we spent together. The first sermon series of our new church plant. And I chose Taste and See because a big part of who we are as a community is that we eat together. We eat together all the time. We eat together at our monthly gathering, which will eventually become a weekly church gathering. But we also eat together in our Kaylee circles, which are our small groups. Right now we have one core small group and we're working to expand that out into multiple small groups around the city. And so we welcome you if you feel so called to join a Kaylee circle or to lead a Kaylee circle. Leading does not mean that you have to teach. All it means is that you have to open up your home uh, to, to let other people come and taste and see. But you know, in this sermon series, we've talked about a lot of things. I thought it would be helpful to kind of put it all together and help you understand what the point was for this whole concept. We're going to take our text today from Matthew chapter 9. It's an interesting conversation between Jesus and followers of John the Baptizer. Now, this is one of Jesus' cousins. We're not really sure if it's first cousin, second cousin, third cousin, but somehow they're related in this world. You might remember back to the Christmas story. Uh, Elizabeth is pregnant with John. Mary is pregnant with Jesus. They meet. John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. So uh, John the baptizer is that one leading the way for Jesus. And some of his followers come to Jesus and they ask a question. They say, you know, the religious people in our tradition, in the Jewish tradition, they, they fast. These religious leaders, we call them Pharisees, they, they fast pretty regularly. Uh, the tradition was Mondays and Thursdays that they didn't eat. They fasted. And so John the baptizer's followers also were in a practice of fasting. And fasting was always connected to this idea of repentance. Repentance is a big fancy word. We're going to talk about that on Wednesday. If you come to the Ash Wednesday service, we'll talk more about what that word is. But nonetheless, there was always this 
practice of fasting as a way of being more religious or being holy, being closer to God. And so John the Baptizer's followers came to Jesus and they said, but your disciples, your students, they don't fast like we do. What's the deal? Jesus gives them a pretty strange answer. He says, first of all, uh, there's no need to fast while the bridegroom is here. You know, we're, we're going to have a party while I'm here, but there'll come a day when I won't be here and they will have to fast. Ooh, interesting. Now we know how the story ends. If you're a Christian, you read your Bible, you know where that's headed. But if not, that was a very cryptic answer that they had no idea about what he was talking about. Then he goes on to give a couple of metaphors. And one of the metaphors he gives is this idea of new and old wine and new and old wine skins. And so here's what you need to know about this. First of all, new wine didn't taste very good. And it needed some time to sit, needed some time to hang out. And as it did, it released gases as it was fermenting and it would expand the wine skin, which is kind of like the wine bottle of the ancient days. That would have been made out of leather. So it had a little bit of give to it, but not a whole bunch. And that gas would expand the wine skin. Old wine has settled down. It's not expanding anymore. And it generally tastes better if it's not too old, right? So what Jesus said here is you don't put new wine in old wine skins, or they will explode basically, right? You have this old wine skin that's leather and it's sort of dried out and it's already stretched as far as it can stretch. And then you fill it full of new wine, it's just gonna pop as that gas comes out of that new wine in that fermentation process. And so Jesus is saying essentially, you put something new into something old, sometimes it can cause collateral damage. <laughs> sometimes you want that and sometimes you don't, right? There are different interpretations of this passage, but I do think that the simplest understanding of it is that Jesus is saying, I'm doing something new and it requires a new approach. If I do things the old way, uh, if I follow all of the old tradition while trying to do a new thing, it's just going to blow up. And so in order to have some continuity, some rooting in the tradition of God, uh, we're going to do a new thing. And so we have to have new ways of doing it, right? New wine in new wine skins. And so you might recall all the way back to the beginning of this sermon series when we talked about being a new kind of church, a whole different kind of church. And one of the things we didn't talk about a lot at that time, but that I want to mention now is how we become a new kind of church. You see, for the last 50 years or so, the church in America has followed the same basic formula. If we want to plant something new, we build a big space. Now, we might have to meet for a while in a school or in another church, but eventually we build a big space. We hire an excellent worship team. We have great preaching. And we try to draw people into that big building on Sunday mornings to hear that and be a part of that. And then as they get excited about what they've experienced, we try to plug them into smaller groups. We send them to a Sunday school class. We try to plug them into a small group at home, right? And that's kind of the model that we followed for half a century. The reason that worked is because most people were pretty, uh, how do you put it, uh, open <laughs> to Jesus Christ and Christianity. Most people in America were already maybe nominally uh, Christian 
following Christ in some way. And so if they were going to go to a religious service, they were going to go to a church. And so you just needed to have a landing spot for them that was quality, right? That had good worship, good preaching, that felt like God was moving in the space. And then you could take that and a certain percentage of those people who came, you could get plugged into smaller, more intense groups where they learn more about Jesus and they become better followers of Jesus, right? But something's changed in the last 25 years. And as usual, the church is behind in responding to this change. But essentially what has happened is the average person in America is no longer predisposed to be okay with Christians. And the average person in America is no more likely to <clears throat> seek out a church than they are a mosque or a synagogue or a bar, right? I mean, it's just changed. We are in what we call a post-Christian world. And in that world, somebody who is looking for deeper spirituality doesn't automatically think, go to church. They think, I've got to Google this. I've got to look for podcasts. I've got to go find this. Uh, and the reason for that is because so many people have seen the damage that the church has done in the world, and they really don't want any part of it anymore. They're fed up, they're tired of uh, the way that Christians have behaved. Now, this may not be an entirely fair characterization of Christians in the last 50 years, but it is the way that <clears throat> the average everyday person perceives us. I'll give you a few examples. So every time there's a major natural disaster or terrorist attack, there is some nonsense televangelist saying, that it's because of abortion or homosexuality and we're being judged by God, right? This is somebody with bad theology who doesn't understand hermeneutics and interpretation of scripture, who's taken the simplistic view of the judgment of God from Genesis and applied it in the modern day and said that this hurricane destroyed this town because of gay people or people getting abortions. Uh, this terrorist attack happened because of gay people, right? because of liberals, because of some kind of category of human that that particular pastor did not agree with. When you see that over and over again, it really starts to impact the way people think about Christians. Super judgy, right? And that is always the number one complaint. In every survey that I have seen, the number one reason people don't come to church or become a Christian is because they perceive Christians to be judgmental. Yeah. So we have that issue, right? And that's just one example. We could talk about all the other examples where very, very important and influential Christians have gotten in bed with politicians who aren't good people, who have done damage to the world, who have taken controversial stances, who aren't even, <clears throat> you know, sort of practicing Christians. That's done harm to Christianity. We've also seen Christians take political stances that may or may not have anything to do with scripture, whether it's on taxes or gun rights or inclusivity. Uh, we've seen Christians abandon pluralism and abandon democracy and go down paths of white supremacy or go down paths uh, of uh, autocracy. And so the average bystander looking around goes, that's not something I want to be a part of, not interested, particularly young people. If you're under 40 and even more so under 30 and even more so under 20, you are actually hostile to the Christian worldview as you understand it. 
So we have to do something different to reach people. We can no longer create a big service and expect people to just show up and then we can filter them down into small groups. I would liken this to the pre-Christian world. If we're in a post-Christian world, then we're very much like we were in a pre-Christian world with some other disadvantages. But in the pre-Christian world, when the church first started, we did things the opposite. For one, we didn't have any money. <laughs> so that was good, right? And for another, uh, we were often persecuted, so it wasn't easy for us to have a big public gathering all the time. So it was sort of out of necessity, but it worked very well, which is that we flipped the script, or really the original version, uh, was that we met in those small groups, in homes where we shared a meal, and we chatted, and we talked about God, and we talked about our lives, and we prayed together, and we did communion together. And then those small groups would organically grow into bigger spaces and churches and bigger spaces and churches, right? You see how it's the exact opposite of the other model. So instead of top down, big to small, it's bottom up, small to big. And that's really our hope in our model at Kaylee Community is that we start with meaningful relationships because people who are hostile to Christianity are not hostile necessarily to you personally. If you personally invite someone you know to dinner and you happen to talk about Jesus at that dinner, that's wonderful. That's evangelism. That's individual evangelism. And the church cannot continue unless each of us are practicing evangelism, the, the spread of the gospel, the, the spread of the good news about Jesus. Now, another thing we talked about was this idea of miracles and multiplication. In our second message, we discussed the, the feeding of thousands, how Jesus took a few loaves and a few fish and turned it into enough to feed thousands of people. This is in the same way we would like to take these few small groups and multiply them. And we believe God can do that. If God can take a few loaves and fishes and multiply them to feed thousands, God could take a few people in a small group and multiply it into small group after small group after small group. And so we're praying that our Kaylee circles grow and grow and grow. In our third message, we talked about excuses we make. You might remember people saying, oh, I can't make it to your banquet. And so the leader of the banquet invites all the people who are not wanted, uh, the poor, the marginalized, the disabled. They said, come to my party. And it really hacked off those people who are making excuses. One of the things we learned from that, though, is that it's incumbent upon all of us to shave off, slough off all those excuses that we have for why we're not doing individual evangelism, why we're not inviting people into our home for meals, why we're not inviting them to Kaylee community gatherings, why we're not investing in ourselves by learning more about Jesus and praying more, meditating more. Then we talked about the very best table. Communion. We talked about communion and how important it is that our entire uh, way of being as Christians circles around a table where everyone is invited. And you recall we talked about the higher law when Jesus and his disciples ate heads of grain on the Sabbath, so they were harvesting on the Sabbath, quote-unquote, and we learned about the higher law. Now, there might be some laws and rules that were put in place at different times, but that the very greatest law is to love God and to love one another. And then last week we talked about trying new things, right? As Peter learned, it was okay to reach new people who were different from him, who he saw previously as gross or impure. We also can try new things. 
And so as we recap this Taste and See series, I just want to invite you to one simple thing. I want to invite you to invite others to taste and see. You see, I believe that God has the power that if we simply invite people to taste of belonging, to taste of community, uh, to taste of love, then they will want to be a part of that. And so your mission and your homework is to invite people to Ash Wednesday, to invite people to our February 26th gathering, and to invite them into your home. And for some of you to pray about becoming a Kaylee Circle leader, I believe you can do it. And when we do this, we will take this new thing we're doing and put it in new wineskins, <laughs> a new way of thinking. And I know it's weird and I know it's strange and I know it doesn't feel like normal church and that's good because it's not traditional church. But as we do that, we will reach all new people and the church will continue to do what it's done best, which is love God and love others to the glory of God. Amen. Mm -hmm.